Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. This is Blue Moon. It's the original fan-made Manchester City podcast. Coming up, we've got news and views from Cities Week. It's your club and this is your show. For the third time this season, Manchester City have had to come from behind to get something out of a game. Extend that to the back end of last season and it's five times in ten matches. But crucially, Pep Guardiola's side haven't lost any of them. It was the late show against Borussia Dortmund on Wednesday night, but a pair of brilliant goals completed the turnaround. And now, after a Premier League break, it's back to domestic action. Wolves Away is up next, and we'll hear from Dave Azapardi from Talking Wolves to get an insight into this weekend's opposition. And for the first time in 70 years, City have now played a game with a king on the UK throne. We'll hear from historian Dr Gary James about how City have fared around the changes of monarchs in the past. Plus author Simon Curtis will be on the show a bit later on about his new book, City in Europe. All that to come, I'm David Moon. With me this week for this week's Blue Moon podcast is City fan Paul Atherton. Good evening, you okay? Not too bad, thank you. And the artist formerly known as the Paris Angel, it's Maka. <laughs> yeah, mate, you all right? Not too bad, thanks. How are you, Maka? It's been a while. Yeah, good, yeah. It's been as we just so, about three years. Yeah, yeah. Nothing, nothing's happened in between, has quite, it? Quite, quite, quite time, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In all that, um, so uh, let's let's start with the one game that uh, that went ahead this week uh, in uh, Borussia Dortmund in the uh, in the Champions League. Um, Paul, for the what feels like hundredth time this season, uh, City have won a game that in years gone by they probably wouldn't have won. Um, are you getting a bit more confidence about the fact that City keep being able to turn around these leads or uh, these these deficits, or are you starting to think they can't get away with it forever? Well, they can't get away with it forever. I mean, the amount of times we've gone down recently and somehow we've come back and, it, and, it, and it's miraculous recovery is brilliant. But, we, you know, you can't keep relying on that. I think you are right that years ago we would have had to play at our absolute best to have a chance against a team like, like Dortmund. And in this case, we weren't at our best. Thankfully, we conceded with enough time to try and recover the performance because I think that was the best result, really, because we got the win. We've underperformed 60, 70 minutes that there's enough like harsh lessons coming out of it for the for the team and, and I'm sure the manager's passed it on. But then we've still got a good result out the end of it and we've still got a good sort of momentum because we did recover it and we did sort of step it up towards the end. But yeah, I mean, it, it was a strange one really. Um, yeah, but... Yeah. Marco, where do you think this ability to play badly and then suddenly play well for the last 10 minutes and win the game has come from? Um, well, last night in particular, I mean, it's always... Obviously, on a game by game by game basis, but I mean, last night obviously the substitutions were spot on, um, and then just never underestimate the influence of Harland because he's just—I mean, I don't think he's absolutely incredible. I mean, I know everyone's <laughs> everyone's talking about him and about how good he is, but even when he's not doing something, he's doing something. If that makes sense, he's—I mean, like yeah, even when he's not touching the ball, he's doing something. <laughs> yeah, I mean, everything is just kind of, it's like an art. It's just, everything was for that last moment. And he, and even, yeah. he's got people, he, he looks like he's making just jogging things, but he's always tiring people out. And I mean, I know as a team, as a whole, that's what we do. We will wear them out. Um, but him in particular, it's just everything for a reason, uh, it seems. I mean, 
So, going back to your question, I think don't underestimate his influence for a start. And then I'm actually quite, I'm actually fairly relaxed about the us digging ourselves out of these holes late yeah. on, because because you'll get teams who, yeah, they they they, they want to stop us playing, but then if they if they see other games where other teams have tried to stop us playing, it gets to eight to five minutes, they're knackered, and then we still score. So they might actually think, well, hang on a minute, is it actually worth doing that? Because they're going to score anyway. So do we go a little bit earlier? But then you've got the situation like with West Ham, where the first time they actually tried anything positive, within minutes, we'd, we'd scored yeah. because they'd left gaps. So... I'm fairly. I know last night it was slow. It was it was a bit lethargic. Things weren't working on the on the flanks. But I turned into this really boring person who just actually just looks at it and just like I'm actually quite relaxed about this. I trusted the manager. I trusted the process. In inverted commas. <laughs> <laughs> but then, and then and, and then I like the player. I like all the players. And it's like it's a very weird experience for me because yeah. <laughs> it's not how I've watched uh, City all, all over these years. And, and like I say, I was fairly relaxed. It makes a change from having to go back to the nineties and not liking the players, isn't it? It's uh, oh yeah, I despised, it's, I despised every single one of them back yeah. in Gladstone. But then, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, Paul, the, the the changes that Maka talks about there. I mean, Guardiola made a triple substitution, which I, I get. I get that it's different now that there are. Like, that he's got five subs available to him, but it, it was it was a bold move. Bernardo Foden and Alvarez all on completely changed the tempo of the game, didn't it? Completely. I mean, it, it was a change between doing the same thing every time the ball got out wide to having more energy, more lack of you know lack of predictability with players moving in and out, not necessarily just sticking on the wing, but then also having the width for Foden on his left foot on the left, and then De Bruyne being pushed out on the right on his right foot, getting crosses in. And they just made so much difference. It kind of it made the game wider. It stretched the the Dortmund defense a lot more. It, it, it was, as Maka said, it was it was the substitutions that made that difference. Oh, substitutions then probably impetus that we needed that goal almost to kick us on. I think if we did, if we didn't concede, I don't think we would have stepped up the performance in the way that we did. Yeah, I do wonder if Guardiola was going to do uh, a, a three-way change. If it, if he like, he was he was already getting Alvarez ready to come on, and I wonder if the fact that Dortmund scored pretty much straight away at that point then made his mind up to say, "Look, the tempo just needs to change." And like, as you mm. say, Paul, it was it was just really slow, wasn't it? It was. It was just the same, 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 um, same moves every time, and it's one of those things where you want to rotate for the Premier League team. Get Mares and Grealish into the you know get their season started almost and it and again for both of them it hasn't you know through injuries and, and through through form and it, it's just you need those games to go well and you've got a good story coming out of it that one of them's come out and they scored a goal and they're going to kick on and start getting back into the first team but it just doesn't happen sometimes and then you're reliant on your Premier League first team coming in and changing the game um, so that was the disappointment I thought coming from it but. I think Dortmund played played a really good game against against them, and it was just we were just far too narrow because of the way we we're set up. Yeah, let's talk about the setup a little bit, uh, Maka, because um, there's people um, who will routinely ask questions to the podcast, both here and uh, the the one I do with the Athletic, Why Always Us, um, about the fact that Guardiola loves to play these inverted wingers. He loves a right footer on the left and a left footer on the right in Grealish and Mahrez. Um, is that a problem when you've got a right footer in Cancelo often having to play left back uh, behind him and then 
a, a fullback, a fullback who is a centre back in John Stones playing behind the other one. Like, is does that just make the pitch too narrow? Yeah, possibly does. I mean, last night, I mean, taking away the before going on to the fullbacks, I mean, they were just going into like like Paul's just said, it, it it was just kind of they were they were running into traffic, then it was just start again, and but it, it, yeah, it just it just didn't it just didn't work. Um, I don't think in, in ge- I wouldn't say in general that it's it's time to kind of like just forget about him forget about him very because it's not working. Um, but last night was a prime example when it doesn't work because they're basically they're running into traffic. The, all the all the pass pass lines are actually blocked off. They were really well organised, and it simply didn't work. Um, I, do, I do understand that with Cancelo. I think that's a very good point. Um, he's hardly going going to go on the overlap, is he? Tearing down because he's he not really trust his left foot too much. Doesn't need a left uh, foot though, does he? With the, with the quality of the outside of his right and, it, and, he's, <laughs> and he's weird, Cancelo, because he, he, he is better at left back in terms of not his defending, because I have an issue with his defending at left back. <laughs> but anyway, but what it, that's not what he's there for. He is, but he's much, much better at left back as a creative player, which is what he's there for, um, than he's at right, than he's at right back. So I've no problem with him being there, but no, no, it's a, it's a very valid point about him being behind Grealish. But yeah, I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't particularly worried about Grealish last year, but I mean, he does need to start doing a little bit more. Um, and like I say, I'm not massively worried this this year either. But he, he does need to start doing a bit. I think. Yeah, Paul, are you um, are you quite relaxed about Grealish, or is it a, a, again like Macker? Is it the fact that the second season's here now? It's time to 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 kind of kick on. I'm quite relaxed as a squad player, but I think for for the sort of price tag and what we've bought him for, I am a bit concerned because he's o- he's only really played on that left wing when he played like the number nine, false nine, whatever it is. He was quite poor, I think, last year when he played there one or two times. That price, so, that price tag's really—it's going to hang around his neck, isn't it? It, it is because because you know Mares over the last two three seasons has been amongst our top scorers and he's turned it on at the key times. Sterling, you know, would have some poor games, but he would always score a lot of goals when he played. Jesus would when he came on. So it's kind of you, you judge Grealish by his stats almost because you've got enough possession plays in the team that. You know, is he creating enough? Is he scoring enough? And that hasn't happened yet. And he was injured quite a lot last team. It was hard. We had quite of an established eleven. It was hard for him to break into Foden. Obviously, he was he was almost trying to replace on that left. But um, you know, as, as time goes on, you want to see a bit more from him. So I think he's always going to fit into the team and do well and retain possession. And he'll he'll chip in every so often. But it's you know to be to take up one of the three most attacking parts of the, of, the, of the city team. You need to start, need to be like you know an almost guaranteed assist assist per game sort of ratio, and he's not he's not delivering that at the moment. Yeah, Mac, are you? Do you have any issues with um, kind of? It's clear Mares is out of form at the moment, and he's really struggled at the start of this season. Like, is this a problem at the moment, or is it just something that he needs to play through? I, I, I'm no pro- I've no problem with Mares. I mean, I, you've, he's shown how good he is. And yeah, I, I like you say it, it's just one of those. It's a confidence thing. I think he, I, I get the impression he wants to be one of the the kind of <laughs> the big men who, who's playing all the time, and and, and he's not. So I thought that's probably been a bit of a hit to his ego and and everything like that. And, and, and people go through runs of form where they're not not as good as they they possibly can be. So no, I've I've no problem with that. But just sorry, just going back to Grealish. But there is also a possibility that that's not his position. <laughs> 
Yeah. That they need to just say, well, maybe try him centrally when yeah. you can. I know there's not a lot of options all the time or opportunities all the time in our in our strongest side, but that's he was the main man at Villa, he, and I think he's a good enough footballer. And it is a it is, it is a difficult position to try and get your head around if you've not you've not done it all your life. I mean, he's not he's not a kid. I mean, he's 20, what is it, 27, 28? Don't know. Sounds sounds like a kid though to me, Maka. No, 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 no. <laughs> but well, what I mean is, he's 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 played a lot of football and not always in that position. So if he, if if he's not good there, it might just not be his position. It's, it's that position in the Pep team as well, isn't it? It's like you you don't leave that touch line because we exactly. need to, to create width rather than roam. It's a lot of concentration, and you know, as a right footer on there, there's only so much you can you can do at times. Yeah, um, no, totally agree. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, in fairness to him, though, Paul, he was, I, I, the, the, he made a couple of things happen in that first half. He looked like the, the the player that would make something happen for City in that first half, albeit, you know, he didn't play very well and the team didn't play very well and the, I think the two shots he had were blocked. But, like, he was in the position to get something, if you know what I mean. Does that yeah. count for anything? It does, because he's getting there, but then it's like Sterling was getting the right places and he missed a few but he'd, sc- he'd score a lot whereas with, with Grealish if it, over a protracted period he's just getting there then scuffing it and it, I don't know you've got to for that level of ability in that team you need to be taking them Yeah, it's like every time that you know Haaland's obviously an exception but every time he gets it he seems to be taking his opportunity yeah yeah, well, let's uh, let's talk about those uh, taken opportunities because we've got uh, we, well, we've got we're over ten minutes in and we've not mentioned two of the greatest goals that have happened on uh, for City in the Champions League. Um, that weirdly, I really like this stat, Macker. Um, that was John Stones's thirteenth City goal, and. Right. Erling Haaland's 13th City goal. Right, okay. um, thanks to Stat City for, for finding that one. Uh, but I, I just like the contrast of that. <laughs> no, it's got, I mean, I mean, Stones was brilliant. I mean, I love, I love John Stones anyway. He's just, he's just great. I mean, he's not a right back, but he did all right. But that was just a fantastic, a fantastic goal. Haaland's, so I'm in the South Stand, obviously at the opposite end. I didn't realise how good that goal was until I got home and watched it on telly. Yeah. I just thought he just stuck a leg out. I, I didn't. I didn't appreciate how good Cancelo's ball was either. I mean, both of them were things of beauty. But I mean, that goal is just unreal. Like I said exactly the thing I think you said about what Paul Dicko said. I couldn't even get my head that high. Yeah. <laughs> I was. I, I was just about to. Uh, I, I was just about to drop that name in there. Then I was going to. Yeah. So no, yeah, you've stolen my thunder. I was going to say Paul. I, uh, I, I, the name drop I have is that Paul Dickoff uh, said in a WhatsApp group that I mean that he can't even get his head that high. And I completely forgot. Maka, you must. I think you're about the same height as him, aren't you? Uh, yeah, similar. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but uh, like honestly, Paul, when when De Bruyne had sent that uh, bouncing ball to John Stones and he shaped up to hit it, were you like, "What the <laughs> hell are you doing?" I don't know. I, I thought I don't know. I feel, I feel like he was so unblocked, and he you know he's quite a good technical player. He doesn't often shoot, does he, John Stones? It's usually a tapping or a header. No, thir- Thirteen know, goals since twenty sixteen kind of says why. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, but um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like he, he was so he was so open. And it was the right pace, and we'd been trying all sorts, and it wasn't working. You know, it's like the company versus Leicester. Sometimes you, if you, if you like, you know, within twenty yards of the goal, just hit it. Sometimes, so yeah. yeah. So, so now, now that we've, now that I've just made you say that, um, can you explain mm. to me why you never take the shot on? 
I prefer to dribble it past the keeper a couple yeah. of times first and then hit, then hit it wide. Yeah, I've played in enough teams with you to that to, to see that every time the shot's on, um, you you just turn it down for some reason. Um, uh, Maka, the look, I'm going to make you decide now. The uh, the Cancelo the the Cancelo assist or the Haaland finish, which was better? Ooh. You know what? I'm going to go for the Cancelo assist because without that, I'd, you wouldn't have had the finish. <laughs> yeah, fair point. Fair point. Um, <laughs> I put it to you though, Paul. That Cancelo probably does that all the time with the outside of his foot because he's uh, he just does not use his left. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, the, the the pass is unbelievable. I think because Cancelo does it all the time, I'm probably kind of playing it down because you know he hit it in the area. It wasn't exactly on Haaland's head, was it? You know, he had to he had to get his left yeah. foot behind. I can't even describe how he, I can't even describe how that actually transpired that goal, but he had to kind of. Only Haaland is probably the only player with that range or ability to get his foot up there and to yeah. do it and to redirect it because he knew all he knew was he'd have to get my foot up there, let it hit my foot and get it on target and there's a good chance it's going in. It's just the genius of having that level of striker with that range. You know, that's going over. You could stack two Agueros on top of each other and he wasn't going to get near that ball, was he? <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Um, Ruth, my wife, asked how he did it this morning Like because she's not seen it on telly. So she asked this morning how it was, and I tried tried to do it, and never did myself a serious mistake. I'll be a five foot four and not six foot four. Did yeah. you rip your, rip your pants as you did it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I'm still I'm still distracted by this this image of two Agueros stood on top of each other, right? just like like you know like wearing a really long duffel coat. Yeah. <laughs> trying to get in a club. Yeah, trying to get in a club. Just uh, like uh, one stood on the other's shoulders to see what was going on. Yeah. Ad-free episodes are available on Patreon. Sign up at patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. The majority of fans, uh, Wednesday's game against Dortmund was the first time that City have played with a king on the throne of the United Kingdom. I've been speaking to the football historian, Dr. Gary James, to find out more about City and the monarchy. I mean, the last time um, we played a, a, a league game under a king was... Well, obviously, seventy years ago, it's it's nineteen fifty-two. I, I checked up on it actually to see where it was before because I was thinking, oh, I wonder where it was. And it was a two-all draw with Arsenal in January fifty-two. Um, and it's sort of, I mean, I, obviously, there are people. You know, my my dad's in his eighties; he was around then. You know, there are people around, but for most of us, it's just such an unusual thing, isn't it? It's such a, a rare occurrence in in our eyes. Whereas, I guess, in the fifties, when um, the Queen came to the throne, people were probably thinking, oh, it's extremely rare for a Queen to be on the throne. It's usually <laughs> a King, you know. Well, th- this is it. I mean, um, like, it's around about 60% of City's uh, games have been played under a Queen. Um, but the vast majority of them are, are, are Elizabeth. It was about fifty-four percent um, for uh, for Elizabeth because uh, Victoria v- Victoria was only on the throne until nineteen oh one. City, of course, you know, founded in eighteen ninety four. Yeah, and you know, obviously, we didn't. Well, we, we I was going to say we didn't win any trophies, but we did. We we won the second division title under Victoria. Um, so I suppose our first national success came under Victoria. Um, but yeah, we didn't win a, a what what would today be regarded as a major trophy under Victoria, and and you sort of think, you know, for 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 the people, you know, when she died in in nineteen oh one, the the sort of city fans who, who were around then, many of those would have only known a queen 
because you know she she was certainly on my phone before football professional football existed um and she'd probably been on the phone for, again like now you know it was, it was so many decades that that the vast majority of people probably hadn't known a king so it, it was a strange experience but do you know and this is one of the things i'm i don't know if i'm jumping the gun here but um there's all there's been the ferrari about do we play on do we not play and so on and every time there's been a change of monarch city have carried on city have played on I mean, obviously, there, there, there may be um, days where of clash with funerals where games have been postponed or rearranged and, and so on. And, uh, you know, I'm thinking about when Diana died, actually, and obviously she wasn't a monarch, but when Diana died, games were postponed from the funeral, the day of the funeral. Yeah. Um, but in terms of the, the sort of first games after a, a, a senior member of the royal family have died, they've not been postponed in the past. Very unusual. Um, even the, at, when Victoria died... There was a view that games should be postponed um, and the FA eventually sort of, well, the FA said something like um, football should be stopped. The football football league protested saying, hey, we're all going to lose some money. We can't, we can't do that. We've got to play on. God, and, that, that message hasn't changed in years, has it? <laughs> yeah, and, and actually City were one of the teams that played on. There's a couple of the sort of London-based teams or Southern teams that, that didn't play on, but certainly... Um, City played on even after Victoria died so it's very unusual how it's gone recently Yeah and uh, obviously uh, just looking then at uh, kind of like major trophies and things City's first major trophy came under a king it was uh, Edward VII uh, who took over from Victoria it's only three years after after that moniker changed so uh, so so maybe that's a good sign for uh, for Charles III <laughs> Oh yeah yeah I mean maybe and you know I think um, Edward VII he actually I think he died just in the close season as well. So there's no question about games being postponed. But but for us to win the FA Cup and finish runners up in the league, and that, I mean, which of course was the most significant league position we'd finish, is a, is a big statement really. But um, yeah, I suppose, you know, there may have been some City fans going around saying, that's it, you know, under King, we're going to be all right now. <laughs> Yeah, just I mean, just doing the rough maths in my head, it must be it must be under a queen where they've uh, where they've won the most major trophies because all of the the current eras obviously come under Elizabeth and uh, and the sixties was as well. Yeah, I, I had a look at this actually, and with what I think it's twenty major trophies, uh, including our only European trophy at the moment. But um, you know, uh, that's what a trophy every sort of three and a half years, something like that. Um, so under under Elizabeth, it's obviously the, by far the, the the best ratio. Um, but of course, we all know that the, the, the 70 years of the reign has been ups and downs and we've dropped our lowest point as well. So it's, it, it, it is a, a, bit a bit difficult to sort of do a, a, a direct comparison. But the best one, I suppose, the best sort of transition would be um, when the Queen's dad came to the throne um, because his brother abdicated in, in 1936 um and so the queen's dad came to the throne in december 36 that went on to be our first title winning season and there was a definite transit tra transformation of the club i mean we lost i think we lost a couple of the first sort of three or four games under his, his sort of reign if you like um but the rest of the season we were you know it was our longest unbeaten run which has since been beaten by the time it's our longest unbeaten run and we go and win our first league title and his coronation happened at the end of the at the end of the football season and city went on tour to to germany but um you know manchester was sort of decorated in in 
red, white and blue and the Union Jack and all this sort of stuff. And I guess there was some City fans thinking, oh, yeah, that's, that's for our league title success. <laughs> Yeah, not uh, not quite the case. Uh, one one stat that um, that I, I kind of I, I dug up. This was this was a few years ago. So this was during uh, Elizabeth's Elizabeth's reign. Um, was that there've been uh, since City were founded in eighteen ninety four? There, there were more monarchs on the uh, UK throne than there were seasons where City won home and away against Liverpool. Um, <laughs> at, at the time, it, there was uh, six monarchs and, and five seasons. It's now seven monarchs and five seasons. Um, so we could do it. We could do a change of that one sometime soon because we don't want the monarchs getting too far ahead. Oh God, no! We, we definitely need that one changing. I mean, but do you know what? I mean, I'm, you could have probably done a, a, a snapshot. Uh, I don't know. Say for the Queen, Queen's granddad, which would have said, actually, it was the reverse of that. But I don't want to check that one just in case I'm wrong. But <laughs> you, you never know. Um, but I suppose there's a couple of other things we should say about about the royals, which um, have just come to me, actually. King George V, who, you know, we won the FA Cup in 1934 when he was on the on the throne, and that's the Queen's granddad. Um, and we got to two cup finals and we finished second in the league and stuff like that. But he also... Um, came to Hyde Road in 1920 when he was the king. So, you know, a reigning monarch coming to, to Hyde Road. So, you know, in some ways, that's that's a, a different angle. And also, Queen's dad, when he was still a prince, when he was still the Duke of York, he went to Main Road and watched a, a game. I think it was Derby County, actually, off the top of my head. But he went, he went to Main Road to watch a, a game, um, just an ordinary league game as well. Nothing, you know, there's nothing special about it. He just went to an ordinary league game, same as um, King George V had as well. So, you know, when you, you think about that, there's a few extra royal connections that I think we should, yeah, we should remember, really. So the last, well, the, so the last king prior to Charles and his father have both been to home league games for City. Get a dollop of City nostalgia every Monday. Sign up at patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. That was Gary James speaking to me. Um, and again, thanks to uh, Stat City. We've dug out some stats uh, about City's performances because I, 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 I did wonder about uh, kings and queens on the throne. Um, with regards to City. And uh, the win percentage is actually uh, pretty similar. 45% under Queens, uh, 43% under Kings. Uh, however, they've uh, they've played two-thirds of their games with the Queen on the throne. So it's Elizabeth mainly and, uh, and Victoria for the first few years of uh, their existence. So, uh, so yeah, make that what you will. Um, a couple of other things before we move on. Paul, um, are, you, are you a fan of uh, Phil Foden's haircut photos? Uh, would you you know back the uh, the squad number being shaved into the side of your head? Um. Probably not. <laughs> no, I don't think it's not not for me. I don't think I could pull it off. I think he can. You're not going to say. I just get. You're not going to say a six in the yeah, side of your head. No, no, it's not going to happen. No, no. Yeah. You would you do it? Well, I, I mean, I, I goalkeeper, so I have number one, which just would just look ridiculous. It'd look like I'm boasting everywhere I went, really, wouldn't it? So. Numero uno. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that, oh, that's your, oh, that's your sort of. Uh, that's, your, that's your strange ways number, is it? Something like yeah, that. yeah. I'd have to play. I'd have to start playing number thirteen or something like that, so just to to get the full effect. But yeah, and uh, Macker, the, the final thing for the uh, the Dortmund game, I did love. Um, Guardiola being booked and then hugging the referee—it it kind of feels like that sort of mood that all parents know of, like the naughty child trying to get back in the good books. Yeah, it does. yeah. no, no, it was, <laughs> it was it was very funny. That very funny. It's it's so funny to watch, isn't it? Just you just. <laughs> Just just watching that transpire, like I literally have no idea what's going on. Well, can you imagine living with him? 
Yeah. <laughs> uh. It must be that absolute nightmare. I know, obviously, I love him to bits, but he just, oh. He's got a sense of humour. That's that's the thing that gets him out of it. (laughs) He does kind of. He knows what he's doing, doesn't he? That's why he laughs and did the hug. But he also knows he's very very intense. Yes, incredibly intense. But yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not sure I could spend much more than a week with him. Yeah, you imagine you'd 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 kind of like roll over in the night, wouldn't you? If you like, if you were married to him, you'd roll over in the night and he wouldn't be there. And you're like, where where is he now? Uh, Yeah, the bathroom light would be on and just be like like stood in the bathroom doodling like on his notepad because he got up to, to like get something out of his teeth or something and then you know, he had an idea he'd have one of them uh, one of them London basements with like an office wouldn't he and the, <laughs> the study lamp would be on he'd be just be yeah exactly yeah. Yeah. with a, qu- a quill a quill yeah, <laughs> yeah. like Pep Guardiola the private investigator sort of uh, sort of look yeah right so, well uh, it's time to look ahead to this weekend's trip to Wolves let's start by hearing from Dave as a party from Talking Wolves I've been speaking to him to find out more about their start to the season and I asked whether it's been going in a similar sort of way to last season yeah similar sort of thing really where you know um um, as of right now, we've got the best defence uh, in the in the Premier League again on paper at the moment. You know, we haven't faced against you know faced off against many tough teams. I think City now will be the best team that we've um, we faced, uh, other than Spurs, I would say, um, in that sort of top six bracket. But yeah, but it's the same issues as as last season, really. Where defensive defensively, yes, we're fine, but we're still struggling to score the goals down the other end of the pitch. So. Once again, I think, yes, we've got the best defence in the league, but we're also the lowest scorers in the league as well. Um, the teams that we've played, such as Bournemouth, who just lost you know, 9-0 to Liverpool, you almost think it's a perfect time to play them. And then we go to their place, it's a goalless draw. Um, so that's something that Wolves need to address a little bit more. Obviously, we're, trying, we're in the market for, for a forward. Um, we're trying to bolster that front line and hopefully the goals will start to come sooner rather than later. Yeah. Is it, is it chance creation or is it finishing? What's, what's the problem? Um, it's probably a little bit of both. Um, again, there's some games, I'll bring up the game against Tottenham again, where we had 20 shots on goal, um, which you look at that and you think, oh, Wolves had a lot of uh, chances, but I think our XG was like below one. So that says, you know, the quality of the chances. So I think it's probably more chance creation than anything, to be honest. It's not like we're missing many clear-cut opportunities. Um, but we're just trying to find, it's almost trying to get that ball from the midfield, the attacking midfield areas into those, you know, to, to create the clear cut chances, just missing that final ball walls are really at the minute. Yeah. How's, how's it been at Molyneux? Because uh, obviously if this game goes ahead, uh, then, then it will be at Molyneux. Um, we were, we were kind of hoping that Liverpool might have softened you up a bit first, but, uh, obviously <laughs> that got, that, that, that went in the can this weekend. Yeah, um, yeah, it's it's not been too bad so far. I think you know we'd had a pretty poor start to the season in, in regards to results, um, and I think our last game against Southampton at Molyneux was almost a, a must-win, really, because if we didn't beat Southampton, we would have come up against obviously Liverpool, you guys. After the international break, uh, break, we play West Ham and then Chelsea, which obviously both aren't easy games. So Bruno Large could have so easily gone in eight, nine games into the season without a win. Um, so that win against Southampton was huge and the atmosphere was good at Molyneux as well. You know, we were disappointed with the draw against Bournemouth and I think everyone almost knew in the back of their minds, like, we've got to get behind the team, we've got to get behind the, the, the manager here to try and get a result. And, and that's exactly what we got. So it's given us a little bit more time. We've got a new, couple of new signings that came in late in the deadline. So a bit more time for them to get match fit, match sharp, integrate with the team a little bit more. So... You know, I was gutted that the game against Liverpool didn't go ahead, but, you know, it's just given us that little bit more time to prepare ahead of uh, this fixture on Saturday. Yeah. Um, let's talk about the transfer window because, um, as you said, there's been a few a few players come in uh, towards the end of the window. What what do you make of it all? How, how do you think you've done this summer? 
it, it, I think it was a good window for Wolves. Um, it took a little bit longer than fans would have wanted. You know, the it, it, fans started to get a little bit impatient. Um, the manager said at the end of last season that he wanted to have the core of his squad ready at the start of pre-season. And we'd only just signed one player and we'd lost quite a few. Um, and it's almost a fresh team. You know, we've seen a lot of established players gone that we'd had. Romain Sace had been at the club a long time and he he left on a free. Connor Cody was, of, of course, a big shock to a lot of people, but it made sense uh, for the direction that Wolves want to go in. So it's a big, uh, big change for Wolves, but we've brought in some quality players. I think, you know, Nathan Collins, who is a young, very talented defender and started off brilliantly, like I said earlier, with those defensive stats. Um, Gonzalo Guedes, who's a player that's played sort of top end of Spanish football for a long time. Mateus Nunes, who's a player that even Pep Guardiola sort of praised previously as well. Um, and just just strengthened all around the all around the team, really. We'd signed a new striker, uh, Sasha Kalajdzic, uh, six foot seven forward from uh, Stuttgart. But unfortunately, he's done his ACL already on his debut. Um, so now we're in the market and we're set to sign Diego Costa. So again, an interesting one. I think he's probably going to be in the squad for that game against City as well. I was going to ask how close that was. Is it is it looking likely to get through before uh, before Saturday? It, yeah, it, it's pretty much a done deal. I think obviously with with what's been going on this weekend, I think the title Wolves have found it difficult to with the timing of announcing the signing. But yeah, it's pretty much done. So I think um, again, that's one of the advantages, I suppose, of not having a game. It's given us you know an extra week to get him match fit, try and get him you know up to sort of a match ready status, really. So, but I think he'll be in the squad. He might not start on Saturday, but he'll definitely be in the squad. Yeah, well, we all uh, we all know the damage that Costa can do in the Premier League. If <laughs> if you are going to get a result against City, who are the players that'll do it this weekend? Um, I think f- through the midfield, Neves, of course. You know, we're so lucky to have kept him. He's just been making things tick, and the new signing, Mateus Nunes, as well. And he, he grabbed himself an assist last weekend. Um, but just bringing the ball forward. His ball retention, he's almost a, probably a little bit like De Bruyne is sometimes. You can get two or three defenders around him and he still s- somehow sort of wriggles his way out of trouble. He's a little bit like that, really. And he's been starting a lot of our counter-attacks off. It's just, One of the things with the attackers are, you know, we're doing... They're doing a lot of the hard work, but it's just not clicking for them. Pedro Neto, who was linked with a move away this summer as well, he, he's almost making things a little bit too hard for himself. But on, on his day, you know, he's getting the ball. He could drive forward, make, you know, make life very difficult for defenders. So it's just, he's one of those players I'm just expecting it to click for soon. So I think it's going to be that midfield battle though, really. We'll probably play midfield for him, Martino, Neves and, and Nunes. And that's where we've got to get most of our joy from both defensively and going forward. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously we, uh, we we spoke ahead of the game at Molyneux last season. Uh, that turned out to be a lot more comfortable for City than I was expecting <laughs> yeah. in the end. Uh, because as we've said on, on many of these shows before, Wolves always tend to give City quite a good game these days. Um, how's confidence in going into this one? What, how are the fans feeling? Um, it, it, it's strange, really. I don't think, you know, no one's expecting us to go go over there and sort of, you know, host you guys and beat you on Saturday. Uh but it, I think it's weird because of the Liverpool game. We were sort of looking forward to that because they had a bit of a sticky run of form. Um, so there hasn't really been much talk ahead of this game as of yet. Um, but I think when you know when it sinks in and we you know we're playing against probably well it is you guys are the best team in the country. I think people will start to talk about it a little bit more. But you know I think everyone's worried about the likes of Haaland and. We all knew how good he was, but I don't think anybody expected him to sort of kick off as well as he has done. So it's always going to be a worry. But I've seen, you know, I saw the game against Villa. I think there are ways to try and almost frustrate City and stop City. 
Um, but it is obviously going to be a really tough game. And I think the Wolves fans know that as well. That's why that, our win against Southampton last weekend was so important. Yeah, I, one of the things I've I've worried about with City this season, it, it seems to have kind of faded in the last couple of weeks, but it has been kind of momentum shifts in games. Sometimes when the opposition get the tails up for a bit, that's when City can come under pressure. How are mm. you guys kind of dealing with that at the moment? I mean, I like, I watched your game against Spurs. You've mentioned it a couple of times. And I remember thinking, if you know, if, if Wolves don't score soon, they're going to pay for this. And you, that's that's and, and exactly how it ended up turning out. Yeah, yeah, that that I've used that example a couple of times over the last couple of weeks. To be honest, where I think everyone who watched that game, you know, first half Wolves were by far the better team, but against anybody, you know, in in particular the top six, if you're not going to take your opportunities, you're not going to create a clear cut opportunity and take advantage of your dominance, then they're going to punish you. And that's exactly what Spurs did. You know, they had one. We made one mistake defensively, and they took advantage and scored. Um, so that that's the one thing for Wolves, and that's just that's been against. Everybody. Every team, you know, we can, there's been games where we've had really good spells of possession. We retain the ball really well, uh, but we're just not threatening enough in front of goal. Um, so that'll be a similar sort of thing I expect on Saturday. You know, City is so good on the ball, but I think Wolves will have, have their own spells of possession. It's just whether Wolves can be ruthless enough in front of goal, which at the moment they're not. So City take advantage of one Wolves, uh, Wolves mistake. I think you'll be, you know, you'll be in business. So it's, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how Bruno Lars lines up um, and how we get on on Saturday. You see stats pop up all the time about clubs and players, and you want to know that exact thing about City. There's an answer statcity.co.uk. Want to find out all of the players who played alongside club legends like David Silva, Sergio Aguero, or Vincent Company? Or maybe you'd like to know which team found it hardest to score past Joe Hart. You can find out City's record in every competition, at every stadium, and under every manager. Just go to statcity.co.uk and browse away. That's statcity.co.uk. If you enjoy the show, please give it a rating and a review wherever you get your podcasts. Where are you weakest this season? What's uh, what, what's been the biggest weaknesses? Um, there's not. I mean, the biggest weaknesses, like I said, are us not scoring the goals. But for the areas for for City to target, it's probably almost. I, I think we will play counter-attacking football, obviously, on Saturday. But it's almost City countering that counter. You know, if our fullbacks push forward, I think you'll have a lot of space um, down those wide areas. Um, I've been pleasantly surprised with how we've gone because we've shifted from a back five to a back four um, this season and I thought there were going to be many, many teething issues and, and there haven't been, to be honest. So defensively, you know, the shape and so on has been all right, but I think with the pace, with the talent that City have got, the ability to just pick out a pass, I think the the, the full-backs who have had really good spells this season but have had really bad spells as well, I think that's where you'll get your joy, I think, down those wide areas. Um, I, I want to talk a, a little bit about uh, Bruno Large as well because, um, you know, I, I work with a couple of Wolves fans and uh, one of them is absolutely dead against changing the manager. The other one's thinking, oh, now, now now, might not be the, the worst time to change the manager if things don't pick up anytime soon. Um, is the fan base a little bit split down, down kind of the job that he's doing at the moment? Yeah, there was, uh, especially before that uh, game against Southampton, I think there were fans that were saying, you know, after the Bournemouth game or if we didn't beat Southampton, they they would have wanted him to go. Um, 
he's just he, he's still a very young manager we saw it last season we had a really strong start to the season but there were still certain areas of his game um as a manager where you think what on earth is he doing mainly substitutions timing of these substitutions and so on um so it, it is pretty split still i think you know a lot of that calmed down and quieted down after that win against southampton but it, it, it's one of those it's one of those things i think a manager is he's always you know, you're not going to please everyone. Not 100% of the fan base is always going to be happy with the manager. But for me at the moment, I don't think there's many managers out there realistically that are going to come in and do a much better job than what Bruno Large is doing right now. So I'm happy with him for the time being. You know, things can change quite quickly in football. He's got a tough running coming up. Um, but yeah, for me at the moment, I'm, I'm happy with his ideas. I'm happy with the direction he's going in. But the, the board have almost put the pressure back on him now. Last year, he did an OK job, had no backing. All of a sudden, this summer, he's had a load of money chucked at him. He's changed system to suit what he wants to play. So, you know, the ball's in his court now to try and get it uh, try and get it right for Wolves this season. Yeah. And uh, what do you think the, the the ambition should be for Wolves this season? Where uh, what, what do you think you can what do you think you can achieve? I mean, the, I think the squad is more than capable of a, of a solid top half finish. And even, you know, knocking on the door for top seven again, you know, first two years back in the Premier League, that's exactly what we did. We've had a couple of seasons now where we've been disappointing. Last season, you know, we were so close. And uh, I think we had a couple of games against Arsenal in quick succession, which just killed our momentum and we ended up sliding down the table. Um, so I think we're more than capable to be, you know, knocking around there again. If we could finish sort of eighth or ninth this year, I'd be more than happy try and keep hold of the talented players that we've got and, and make a real push of it next year. Yeah, and um, I mean, there is talk that this game might not go ahead. We'll find out a bit a bit later on. Um, if it does, what's uh, what's your score prediction for it? We'll, uh, we'll whack it on the charity bet. Um, see, I, whenever I come on here, I normally back walls. <laughs> but um, you know what? Yeah, go on. I'll, I'll, I'll say a 1-1 one, one draw. Um, I, that's, that's using my heart. I think my head says probably 2-0 City, but I'll use my heart and go Wolves 1, City 1. This is the Blue Moon Podcast, and we're very sorry about that. So that was Dave as a party from Talking Wolves. Um, Maka, last season's trip to, to Molyneux, I had down as a really tough one. And then uh, Kevin De Bruyne popped up and just decided to, to score four in like an hour or so. Um, so apart from that game, I like City have always, certainly under Guardiola, found Wolves quite a tricky nut to crack. Um what what would you like to see this weekend to, to make sure that they don't end up with a repeat of the first 70, 80 minutes against Dortmund? Um, in terms of, well, you, you, it, you're definitely right. I mean, the, the first game at, uh, well, the game at our place last year, I, I bumped into Sam Lee before the game and just, uh, we were just chatting and he went, you know, this is going to be awful. I went, what do you mean? He just said, this is going to, this is going to be tough. This is going to be really tough. And it was. It was really, really tough. And we were very lucky that game. I mean, it wasn't a penalty, was it, in a million years? And um, You mean that, they, one, that, that ball that didn't touch his hand? <laughs> yeah, that one. So we were very lucky that game. They were very well organised, very hard working. And like you, I was very surprised, but the, the, the result at their place. Um, in terms of what would I want to see, I want to see Foden starting, um, I want to see Bernardo starting. Yeah. Paul, is it is it about kind of more energy in the team? And I know a half twelve kickoff on a Saturday doesn't scream <laughs> energy. Um, but like you, you kind of want a bit more impetus to start with, don't you? I think so. I think after that performance in particular, it, um, you know the strange thing about the previous performance was was more because the the game of the weekend was cancelled. So they felt a lot tired and slow. So 
I think they just need to pick up where they were, you know, the start of the season, move the ball fast, move the ball quick, get teams out of place and sort of get back into that form. I feel like we haven't gone fully, got fully back in our rhythm yet of last year. So, you know, fast performance and a good performance would be good to see. Sorry, but I mean, I don't know about you too. I mean, every team sheet that I see when Foden's not on the team sheet, I just think, oh, I just relieved. He's one of the first, I know obviously as good as De Bruyne is, I just think Foden just adds so much, so much. And he just really has a bad game. And he's just, he, technically, he's obviously brilliant. And he works hard. I mean, he, like I say, every time I don't see him on the team sheet, like last night, it's like, oh, bloody hell. Yeah. So um, I think a spawn is it's one of them where, you know, the amount of goals he was scoring the season before, when he, he, he was kind of, you know, that was when he really rose and kind of came through. And then the next season, he didn't kind of like, hit those dizzy heights stat-wise, but he was always there and always consistent and strong performer. And he, like I said, he didn't have a bad game. And he, he, you do notice him so much when he's out there. It's his energy and he can go between the lines, he can pass, he can stay wide and go in between and he can score and assist. He's, he's just, you know, all-round strong player and he doesn't get phased by the big games either or the, when we need to sort of pull it back. Well, he knows nothing, he knows nothing different. That's the thing. That's the beauty of introducing young lads, same with Cole Palmer now. Like in the past, you had to be really careful and introduce. We might have a decent player on our hands here, but we can't throw him in because it could ruin him because the crowd could ruin him. No, it's true though. Yeah, it's no, true. it's true. I'm, I'm yeah, just, I'm true, just laughing yeah. about the good old days. That's all. Yeah. <laughs> so, but now actually, we can. You kind of they know no different. Phil Folden knows no different, so he must just think he can run for a, a brick wall. Same with Cole Palmer. Get me on. Yeah, I'm better, than, I'm better than Grealish. That, that's what they're probably probably thinking. Yeah, it reminds me of um, when I used to see team sheets in about 2017, 2018 without Sterling on and thought it'd be a tough game today, not because because he's the one that's making a stick. And I wonder if it's the same with Foden. Like as you say, as as good as uh, as De Bruyne is, and as 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 frequently as De Bruyne puts in that moment of quality that changes a game, um, Foden could be the key to maybe more like the tempo that City play with rather than just the quality on the ball. Totally. Um, uh, just in in terms of uh, of Saturday, Maka, um most teams play a counter attacking style against City, so like nobody will be surprised to see Wolves do the same sort of thing. Um, I, how do you feel City have been in dealing with the counter attacking sides this season and, and kind of breaking them down? Because it, it feels like like they're maybe not. It, it feels like maybe the moments where they're not very good are, are a lot lower than they were in previous years, but the moments where they're really good are, are possibly higher than they were. Well, I think, I mean, and, and this comes on to what happened last night, really. I mean, patience as well. You've obviously got to be patient. If people, if, if teams are sitting back and the crowd in it, and it, it is very, very difficult. But I think, and I suspect Guardiola will hate this, will be very reluctant to instruct his players to do it. But I think there are times now, given we've got Haaland in the middle, I'm not talking about like long, straight balls, but get it wide, get it in a box. And that, and we didn't do that enough last night. And just caught, try and cause a bit of chaos, but the word chaos probably makes him twitch. He <laughs> like, that's, yeah. that's not what he wants. He wants everything to be just oddly in it. But, but yeah, I mean, that's what, I mean, what, what more can, what more can you do than if someone sit, if the team is sitting back like that, then get it out wide and get it, and get it in the box. Yeah. You can't, you can't try and play it through the middle and through all the traffic and everything. And, so, yeah, that's the only thing, really, I would say. Yeah. I'd like to... I, I don't know about you, Paul, but I'd quite like to see... City tried it a few times in, like, Edison's first and second season because he's got this 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 ridiculous kick. 
I, I would like to see Haaland go and stand on the penalty spot when it's a City <laughs> goal kick because then the opposition have got a decision to make. Either they push up and try and squeeze City and stop them playing out from the back or they drop deep to, to cover Haaland because, I mean, frankly, surely Edison can hit him from a goal kick on the penalty spot and you can't be offside. Is this, is this your um, sort of coaching badges coming into effect? Uh, this is, yeah, this is, this is my uh, idealistic um, kind of let's, let's cause a bit of mayhem going in there. Cause Nor- I mean, Northern, you, Con- Northern conference. Yeah. I mean, you, you've played with enough, you've played with me enough times to know that uh, the number of times when I will boot the ball long and then go, yeah, no, I meant that. And it was just dropped really fortunately on somebody's toe. Edison can do tactic, it properly. Yeah. That is our tactic, but that's because we're too tired from running around to actually actually uh, play it out yeah well I, th- I think uh, you know if you do that it's 50, well it's almost a 50 50 percent chance you know between Haaland and the defender and he's, he's taller but uh, you know but he's gonna win it sure think there's uh that's the thing that's what Mac was saying is that Pep wants percentages game if you control possession generally you're gonna win the game or your odds are gonna win the game if you just heave it up you're kind of giving away possession more and you're playing, the, you're playing sort of smaller percentage chances. Yeah, it's, it's me turning one of the most technically good teams uh, in the world ever into a route one long ball hoof it yeah. sort of twice Sam a season. Yeah. <laughs> twice a season, catch people off guard. I think that could work. But yeah. I was going to say, I'm not sure it's going to work every week, Dave. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, Paul, looking at Wolves, um, I, I'm, I, I am nervous about this game at weekend, um, largely because Wolves have the best defence in the Premier League so far this season. Okay, it's only six games or so, uh, but they've conceded the fewest and they have the worst attack. They've scored the least, uh, which to me screams this game could be really boring. Could be. Um, I don't expect really. I feel like they're going to dig in, but... You know, Dortmund did it really well for 60, 70 minutes. So, um, yeah, Wolves aren't I mean, Dortmund, I get that, yeah. They're not, and I think that's what I'm thinking. Of. And, and City can't really play much worse than they did in terms of, you know, attacking and incisiveness than they, they did against Dortmund. So, yeah, I feel like it's going to be a step above. And you, I don't know how much you can read into six games as well, really, in terms of Wolves' defence. Yeah, they were doing this last season as well, though. So uh, I, 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 I did have an eye on them at one point, breaking the Premier League record for the fewest goals in any game that they were uh, that they that they played. And just terrible, terrible like entertainment all year round. Mm. Um, Maka, the, like the other kind of wild card in all this is, uh, as Dave mentioned uh, in the interview, they they were likely to sign Diego Costa when when I spoke to him. Uh, they have now signed Diego Costa. So like he could be in line for a start. He's, he's, he's likely to be involved in some capacity at the weekend. Um, does that make them a bit more dangerous? Uh, he's not going to start, is he? He's not going to be match fit. So he's probably on the bench. So yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd like us to be two or two goals in front in the last 20 minutes because the last thing we want is it being nil-nil or, or what, us one-nil up and then them throwing him on for the last 20 minutes and the crowd will be going mental and then you just all anything could happen but uh no I'm, I'm i'm i think i'm more confident than you for the weekend i just think we'll i just think we'll just be better than them yeah i think doing podcasts like this actually has, has made me overestimate every opposition ever so uh, <laughs> i think like if, we, if we we could be playing like Dagenham and redbridge this weekend i'd be going well you know they've, oh, had, yeah, they've had a good start yeah they've had a good start to the season um, <laughs> yeah, i've got a young lad from altringham who's just joined <laughs> yeah so you know you never know um i'm gonna run through some quick fire options paul um given that the international break's coming up there's there's obviously there's there's plenty of players who'll be playing in that and there'll be uh, there'll be some that get a rest um Given that we haven't really seen much of Alvarez, would you like to see him involved? Oh, definitely. I think um, 
Haaland took the limelight because of how good he's been. But I mean, Alvarez just looks unbelievable. You know, he's he's a perfect pet player, isn't he? The way he chases down the ball, he can pass, he can he can shoot, he can he can he can um, you know defend as well and stop counter attacks. He can play all the way all the way across the front and attack in mid. So yeah, love to see him play. Yeah, how about Haaland, Maka? Is uh, is he going to need a rest at some point? Um, my head says yes. My heart, I, I don't want him to. I just want him to play every game. Yeah. I just, I play just, every I, game, score two. Yeah, yeah. I just, I, I know, I know that's not going to happen. But um, yeah, I, I don't know. Or does he? Or does he just just keep playing him and just see see what happens until he breaks? <laughs> then we stick <laughs> him back. In, we, stick, we stick him back in the lab and sort him out, and then <laughs> we are all right. Yeah, yeah d- download the new update and uh, yeah. let's see how he is. Um, how about the centre backs, Paul? Because uh, I thought the the bright sparks from the first hour or so against Dortmund was that uh, both Ake and Akanji would look pretty good. So um, you know, if Diaz is available, Stones is obviously available. Don't know about Walker, so maybe Stones is needed at right back. What what would you do? I think keep the same. Um, back four. I think it worked. I don't think we're particularly vulnerable. Uh, there's a couple of, you know, Dortmund sort of count a couple of times, but I think I think we looked really strong. I think Kanji's settled in really well. I think Ake's brilliant one-on-one defensively. He wins a lot in the air. Um, Cancelo usually attacks more and he comes backwards. So And, and Stone's obviously solid. So I'd keep the same back four if, if, that, if that falls fit. Yeah, the only question I've got then on top of that, uh, Maka, would be maybe Gomez to left-back, Cancelo to right-back so that Stone's can go in the middle. Um, possibly. Um, I just, I, just, I do like her. I'm conflicted with Cancelo at left back because I so much, I, I love what he brings creatively, but when he dangles that left leg out when he's defending, he's just, <laughs> someone's running past him. Yeah, penalty, <laughs> penalty on the cards. Oh, God, I know. But, um, I'd have, I'd have no problem with that. But I'd have no problem with both. But I'd probably go with, um, no, I'd probably go with what Paul says. I agree with that. Yeah. It's, it's the, uh, the Cancelo standing tackle, which either looks incredibly nonchalant and really good, and it sends the player flying, or he just wipes them out. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> or gets taken on completely. Yeah, yeah. bypass the, entirely. The, the thing with Cancelo is, he's so entertaining to watch for so many different reasons, like <laughs> per game. Like, it's, but like, but a really high level of performance is. Yeah. He'll just like hit an absolute wonderful outside of the foot pass. Do loads of skill, or he'll just miss like a five-yard part side, which passes yeah. to create a counter-attack, and then moan everyone. Yeah, or for no reason, just roll it to their centre forward in the middle of the yeah. in the, the centre circle. Yeah, and then blame exactly. someone else. Yeah, why? Why have yeah. you done that? I don't know. Just fancy doing it. But it's it's Hollywood entertainment. Yeah. Right, uh, charity bet time. Uh, I was correct for the Dortmund game on last week's podcast. That was an £85 win and it takes the total for the season to £205. We're collecting for the Man City Fans Food Bank Support Group. They're helping the Trussell Trust support people in food poverty in Manchester. William Hill is giving each of us a £10 correct score single on City's games. Um, so we heard earlier on from Dave from Talking Wolves. He's going for a one-all draw. Uh, that is to 9-1 if he's right. So £90 will go into the kitty if it finishes 1-1 on Saturday. Paul, what are you having? Uh, I'm going to go 2 0 City. 2 0 City is 6 to 1 and 60 quid if you're right, Maka. 3 1 City. Comfortable 3 1. Uh, well, I'm assuming it'd be comfortable when they, they don't score like no, two stoppage time goals. Last minute, that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, if it finishes 3 1, that's 11 to 1 and £110 if you're right. You've got to be 18 or over to gamble. Prices can change. And for more on responsible gambling, take a look at begambleaware.org. Email the show through our website, bluemoonpodcast.com.
Now then, it might feel like City are Champions League regulars these days, given they've qualified for the competition each season since 2011. But the club's relationship with European tournaments isn't that simple. City fan and author Simon Curtis has documented the whole thing from the club's baby steps onto the continent in the late 60s to their re-emergence in the early noughties. I've been speaking to him about the book called City in Europe and about City in European competition. It goes back a lot longer than most people uh, believe to start with. So it's a, it's a long story. It's an interesting story. It's an in and out story. Uh, it's an up and down story. I mean, this is this is what we've always expected from City, isn't it? Um, uh, disaster um, around every corner. I mean, it's not not so frequently talked about these days, obviously, but it's it always used to be. Uh, a speciality of the club to to find a special way of failing, didn't it? And, um, <laughs> we continued to do that in Europe for many years, and some would say we're still doing it. Um, so it's it's a special area of of the club which uh, really still needs attending to. I suppose you know if you look at all the success over the last few years, it's the one bit that um, still needs adjusting, if you like. Yeah, um, I mean, let's let's go back to the start um, because, I mean, when I was born and when I was growing up as a City fan, um, European competition was just not something that that we were ever thought possible for City. Um, mm. So, uh, kind of that that phrase uh, "terrorize Europe" was always mm. kind of like a, it was a monkey on the back for us as a, as, as fans like growing up in the in the eighties and nineties, um, yeah. l- like. The attitude at the time when City first got into the European Cup was, was like City. City will City will do well here. Well, that was Malcolm Allison all over, wasn't it? He was he was full of bravado, um, and to some extent, rightly so. He had a great great uh, squad of players, and he had Joe Mercer backing him up. Um, what could what could go wrong? You know, they'd already <laughs> they'd already tasted success, um, so. Their their tails were up, if you like, and he 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 immediately regretted that quote, um, but he had to live with it, obviously. Um, but within a year, they had kind of terrorised Europe. You know, winning a, a European trophy in those days didn't take quite what it does these days. It was only um, four or five rounds, and you you're in the final already. And if you're lucky, you get some pretty duff opponents along the way as well. Um, but yes, it was a, it was a a typical Malcolm Allison start to to the the roller coaster, if you like. Um, but again, it fits City. City have always had their their mavericks and their loudmouths and their tricksters and their jesters and their rascals, haven't they? So um, Allison started the ball rolling really with that quote. Yeah, the I mean, you mentioned the the Cup Winners Cup success. Um, I, I guess that's that's a little bit kind of difficult for for younger fans to to kind of process what what that means. Um, but but the, the cup winners' cup was was regarded as a as a good trophy to win, wasn't it? It wasn't it wasn't like yeah. wasn't like winning the the Europa Conference League at this stage as the third le- third level of, uh, of 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 European competition. It was a it was a major it was a major trophy. It was football football ban. So these days has, has um, condemned things like the Conference League so that, you know, we, we joke about Thursday evening football and all the rest of it. And if you're not in the Champions League, you're a bit of a joke. Um, but in those days, you know, getting into Europe was quite a thing. There were three trophies, obviously, the European Cup, UEFA Cup, as it was, and the Cup Winners' Cup. And the Cup Winners' Cup was the, was the quirky one, if you want, because it was the previous season's um, National Cup winners, um, which meant... You know, it, it might be a surprise entrant 
Um, City were in a flush of of good health at that time, so they they won everything. But, you know, it might quite easily have been and was, in England's case, West Ham or Sunderland, who also won the Cup in the 70s and 80s, uh, going into Europe on on England's behalf, you know, so you could get all sorts of people as as strange opponents in the Cup Winners Cup, but it it didn't feel at the time like a, a lesser competition. It was just slightly different. Yeah, how how long was it for City? Do you think that uh, as as the years went by with without European football, how, how long was it before the realization set in that that European football was a long way off? Um. Well, I mean, it, it came to a grinding halt in 1979, and I, I, I was—I uh, hadn't seen City in Europe then, not in the flesh, but uh, I was aware that this was becoming a regular thing. You know, in the in the mid and late 70s, we're in the UEFA Cup four or five times. Um, in that final UEFA Cup season, 78-79, we got through to the quarterfinal, even with a a badly slumping side that season. Um, and it just felt like uh, another of those things that would be a regular occurrence, you know, just like City being in the top flight. Um, I knew nothing other than City in the top flight until suddenly in 1983, we were relegated. And even that season, relegated on the last day of the season with four minutes to go, that was the first time we'd gone into the bottom three. Um, it was just surreal. So suddenly having uh, top flight football removed, Having had European football removed, you thought, "Oh well, this is this is a new thing, you know. This is the new city, um, and we'll we'll go with the flow." And it was good fun, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But nobody could have forecast that it would be um, two thousand and three before City got another snuff of uh, another sniff of Europe, which is a ridiculously long time. Yeah, I remember uh, you know um, being in uh, an exam at school um, when uh, one of the teachers who was a who was a City fan uh, knew all the City fans while the UEFA Cup draw was going on, and um, <laughs> it, like just you know you know in that way in school exams you stick your hand up, can I have a bit more paper, can I have like this. Um, <laughs> Uh, he kind of give that knowing look to say the draw's been done. So you'd stick your hand up and he'd wander over and just say, "By the way, we're going to Wales." <laughs> it just like after that all that brilliant. build up, it's just Wales, isn't it? <laughs> Absolutely brilliant. And the Welsh manager just hit it on the head when he said, "You know, City have waited such a long time. It's such a shame that having waited for twenty five years or whatever it was, they're going to exit the tournament straight away in Wales." <laughs> Fantastic. Um, But it would have been typical, wouldn't it? Um, What a start that was. That season, in fact, we managed to get uh, Lochran, which was a sort of half-normal side, although I think they were bottom of the Belgian league when we played them. Uh, But then we went out to um, the very unlikely opponent of of Grocklin, Disco Bolia, as they were called at the time, um, in a park uh, covered in snow in some godforsaken bit of eastern Poland in front of 5,000 people. So it, it was almost as bad as going out to, to Total Network Solutions, in fact, in the end. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting, the, the qualification side of things, because when you look at the early dates, um, obviously City qualified uh, by winning the league title, they qualified by winning the, uh, the FA Cup. Um, and then kind of like by the 2000s come along, you know, that, that first Kevin Keegan era in 2003, um, okay. they qualified for the Fair Play League. The next time, uh, again, was the Fair Play League when uh, when they lost 8-1 at Middlesbrough and still somehow qualified for for, uh, for Europe. Um, yes. 
it kind of it kind of shows where City were at in the in the kind of noughties that that that's that's as close as they were getting to success, isn't it? Yeah, um, I remember Keegan at the time being as he as he was wont to be, full of enthusiasm that we'd finally got into Europe again, and that he he was uh, at the helm when we did it. Um, <clears throat> but when when the realization dawned on him how we'd managed to get in, uh, everyone was. A, tiny bit embarrassed I think really because uh, in, at least one of those two seasons you mentioned Everton finished above us and really should have gone in um, on merit um, we were lower in the table than them but got in because we'd uh, we got fewer red and yellow cards which is a little bit ridiculous and we did it twice as you said so yeah that was the sort of scrabbling to get back in that we had to be involved with uh, until uh, 2010, 11, when we when we finished fifth and actually qualified properly. Yeah, and uh, of course, you know, in terms of um, managers and and City in Europe, you you have to say that City in in recent years, um, starting off with with Roberto Mancini getting them into the Champions League, and then Pellegrini getting them into the knockouts, and then Guardiola getting them to the final. Um, the progression has been there, hasn't it? And uh, so, how, how how do you rank the, the the city managers for their for their input in in terms of the City in Europe story? Because obviously, it all starts back with with Joe Mercer and Malcolm Allison. It does, yeah. Uh, in in modern terms, I have a soft spot for Mancini. I must admit because he's he, he took City into the Champions League for the first time. Uh, tough days, those first two seasons, difficult groups to get out of, which we didn't get out of. Um, but still, you know that was that was a, a tough testing ground for the club, I think. And uh, we we got our backside slapped a few times, but it was it was interesting. It was the, our first attempt at, at playing the Bayern Munichs and the, the big boys, Barcelona. Um, so I have a soft spot for Mancini, I must admit. But you're right, the, there has been uh, an obvious procession each time. You know, um, Pellegrini took us on and managed to get us out of the, the groups. Um, although his final legacy, I think, was a bit of a disappointment in, in the, getting to the semi against Real Madrid we really didn't do ourselves justice in in those two games uh, very flat performances um especially the second leg in in madrid i was there for that and uh, it was just i don't know it was just so flat you know the, the, it needed a, a last hurrah it only needed a goal and the whole thing was back on edge you know and we didn't look like um we'd been told to do that so that was a bit of a shame obviously since guardiola's been in charge Things have moved on very smoothly to uh, a completely different level. City are now seen as um, uh, obvious contenders each year as the competition starts, and rightly so. Um, but, you know, back to the, the old story, we have to um, come good on that, I think. Yeah, you, you mentioned in the book um, that uh, you can kind of split City fans into into three kind of portions. Um, the ones who believe it's cursed and they'll never win anything in Europe. Uh, the ones who believe it's inevitable. It's you know with the resources they've got and the manager they've got and and the players they've got, it is inevitable that they'll win it eventually. And uh, the others who I would class myself in um, as uh, I don't really care whether they win it or not as long as they win the uh, the domestic stuff. So uh, where 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 do you fall on that spectrum? Well, I used to be in one group and now I'm in another, I think. You know, I always used to think we were cursed and, and that nothing would go right. I've seen so many disasters um, down the years. But that that old, you know, I'm even loath to call it typical city because it, it 
almost doesn't exist anymore. You know, even our typical city moments these days, you know, the Villa, Villa game last season, the QPR game, um, on, on the edge of disaster, we're now pulling it around each time. Um, so I would say there's nothing really inevitable in football, I, I guess, but it, it's as, as near to a certainty as you can get that City will, within three or four years, I think, um, probably get their hands on this thing. Um, if they don't, then it's going to make a, uh, for an interesting story because, you know, our, the way we've missed out on it so far in recent years is already pretty bizarre. Um, so I think it would need a, a, a continuation of, of some pretty bizarre occurrences to, to stop a team like City finally getting there. Simon, it's been uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Where can people uh, buy the book if they uh, if they want to, to to read some more? Uh, yeah, it's in the club shop, and uh, if you miss out on that, then obviously Watersons in town have got uh, plenty of copies as well. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. That was Simon Curtis talking about his new book. Um, let's finish with uh, some listener questions. Get them in for next week on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. You can email through the website as well, bluemoonpodcast.com. Uh, that's how Anna has got in touch. We were going to do this one on last week's show, but we ran out of time. And then with the game being uh, cancelled at the weekend, uh, it's given us the perfect opportunity to return to it. So Anna says, uh, I came away from the Villa game pretty disappointed, if I'm honest. I know we've had a good start to the season, but we've got away with dropping points by other teams not capitalising. I know Pep's teams can take a short while to click, going into a season, but it feels like a slowish start despite being second. With the World Cup in the middle of the season, it feels like a season of two halves, and we don't know how that will affect City's momentum. How important is it to get into rhythm quickly this season, and what do you think our expectations should be for where we are when we pause? Um, so just to, to kind of give you a, a, an idea of where City could be, um, at the moment they're second in the table, they're a point off the top, they've got 14 points, Arsenal have got 15. Uh, now, because of rearranged games and because of uh, games being cancelled. The games that City have got before the World Cup are Wolves away, United at home, Southampton at home, Liverpool away, Brighton at home, Leicester away, Fulham at home and then Brentford at home. There's a maximum of 24 points available. They could take, they could get to 38 points before the World Cup. Um, Maka, what's your, what's your gut instincts for this? Where where do you think we should be aiming to be uh, by the by the time the World Cup comes along in terms of, uh, in terms of points? Well, we're not... We're... They're all winnable, aren't they? I mean, I mean, even the Liverpool one because it, other things come into <laughs> the dark arts come into come into play when you go to Anfield. But so I take a point at Anfield. But the other, all of those are very, very, very winnable. So yeah, I think we've just got to aim for that. But um, I mean, it is quite strange though because I mean, put you put yourself in a in the place of some of these players who are going to the World Cup a few weeks before. There's a fifty-fifty there. Are you really going to throw yourself in there if you're feeling feeling a bit your hamstring? And it's it's just all a bit it's it's all a bit strange. And then when well, and then going back to when they come back, people are going to be injured, people are going to be knackered. It's just going to be skew. I think it's just going to skew the whole season, to be honest. Yeah, I did look when I looked at the fixtures originally, Paul. Um, there was an Arsenal um, um, game in there as well, where I thought that'll be tricky, given how they've started the season. Obviously, looking at Liverpool, thinking that's tricky. Mm. We've already mentioned my thoughts on the Wolves game this weekend that I think could be <laughs> tricky. Um, the Manchester derby is is one of those where you go, okay, United are crap, but then every now and then they pull out a result, and that's a that, that, that's annoying. Brighton, I had down as a tricky game, but then you know the manager's gone off to uh, to Chelsea, so we don't know what they're going to be like. Maybe maybe we should be a bit more optimistic than I am being right now. I think so. I mean, 
if we get 38 points, that keeps us out of the relegation zone, doesn't it? Hopefully, at the end of the season. So, <laughs> just got to think, I'll get to that 38, yeah. 40 point get, mark. Get safe, yeah. Yeah, no, no I'm, I agree. The first few games, I was a bit concerned. Something wasn't quite clicking. The Aston Villa game was, was, was very strange. But our main competitors, you know, Arsenal, it's a big step up for them from where they were in the previous season. Can they maintain it? City have kind of never really had the under the pep. They never really had that big dip. They kind of they kind of sustained the level throughout the season and gone on runs. But because Liverpool have been quite poor, and I think we don't know what to expect of United yet. Chelsea have obviously changed in manager. I think we're in quite a good position, really. I think yeah. it's it's only going to get better. We're only going to click a bit more. Bernardo is obviously staying, which is a big 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 plus. Um, you know, Phillips has looked good when he's come on. And then Haaland's obviously made a massive difference. Alvarez has slotted in. We've, we've changed a lot of key players from the first sort of 13, 14 people, players that, that play in each game. And I think it's been about as seamless as it can be, I think, for us to still, for, for us to be second by a point. Yeah, I mean, I, I with the with the Villa and Newcastle games, again, I'm fairly relaxed about it. I think it, it was just one of those. I mean, with the Villa one, I think... Half five kickoff on a Saturday, they were all up for it. The fans and it just kind of seemed to snowball. Don't get me wrong, we should have killed the game off, but it just snowballed. And you knew they were going to score. It just felt like one of those games where they're going to score. But and, and it, it was what it was. We Newcastle similar. The the fans were all over us. It was just all all, all against us, and it was building and building and building. And I took a massive positive from that. Then we actually actually came away with with something from that. Um, so yeah, I'm, I think I'm turning into some kind of happy clapper. <laughs> <laughs> we've, we've broken you, Maka. I know, yeah. But um, yeah, I've not. I, let's put it this way: I've not seen anything this season yet that would really, really worry me. Yeah, I've seen I think, a, I think a, they... a lot more that a lot more positives. And I think, as as Paul said, um, uh, the fact that you would have said before a ball was kicked this season, Liverpool would be City's main title rivals. The fact that they've they've had a really bad start to the season and are, and are playing catch up, you know, United are a, a new kind of entity there. I, I can't see them being in the title race by the end of the season. If it is, a, you know, the the top three currently Arsenal, City, Spurs. If it is those three kind of going towards it towards the end of the season, then there's only the one team that's got the experience there. So I, I think that'll be a, a really key factor. Well, it's massive as well. The Arteta, Arteta at United, I mean, that just shows you how good Guardiola is because, and I don't understand how somebody who's actually kind of studied, in inverted commas, under Guardiola did what he did. Um, they went 2-1 down. They were the, they were the best team. They were playing well. There were 20 minutes left. And he's just abandoned everything and basically just thrown a load of attackers on. <laughs> and he was like, no, just keep playing. I've, 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 I've faith in it and just keep going. And that, so yeah, I've, I've actually no, no problem with that. They'll, they'll, they'll fold. Um, Spurs could be interesting. They're decent. Yeah. Um, and to be fair, United could be interesting. You never know. But yeah. I can't see it. But um, yeah, but it's, I, I, it's always going to be Liverpool. It's always going to be Liverpool at the moment. And. They're miles off. Yeah. yeah miles if City's maintaining that sort of 93 plus points type tally, I don't know who's making that step up in golf which out yeah. of anyone that's not Liverpool. Yeah. Well, especially if more people are taking points off each other mm. as well. Yeah, that'll absolutely so, help as yeah. well, won't it? Yeah. Right. Well, that brings us to an end for this week's Blue Moon podcast. I'm David Booney. Thanks to Paul Atherton. Cheers, Moons. And to Maka. Cheers, Moons. 
Join me again next week to review the game at Molyneux. See you then. That was the Blue Moon Podcast. Please give the show a rating and a review where you can. And don't forget, you can listen without the ads by signing up to our Patreon. You'll also get an extra episode each Monday. Here's a clip of this week's. That commentary is definitely then that commentary from Clive Tilsley. That's like the soundtrack of my teenage years. <laughs> um, even now, you know, I can still remember it. Pallister, full stretch, missed it, all for one nil, and the, and yeah. obviously the last one as well, which was you know iconic commentary, I suppose, for City fans for um, for the Hinchcliffe bullet header. Yeah, chance but, at the uh, far post. That's the that's yeah, the line, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, cross, chance at the far post, Hinchcliffe. That's just marvelous stuff. Yeah. Oh, hold on. <laughs> <laughs> got a, a contributor in the form of my husband walking past it, he it as well very distinctly so it was um yeah what what a fantastic day for city fans and i remember and again you're probably too too young for this but older fans will remember i recorded it on kickoff and then on the on the video cassette if you didn't want anybody to tape over that tape because oh, you used to push the thing in yeah yes vhs cassettes you could push it and then nobody would record over it and that was um that was a common um Three, right in our house that somebody would just go oh this is on I'll just select any tape and put it in and record it but yeah I actually adjusted the cassette so nobody could uh, could tape over it you can listen to more of that at patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast and join us again next time for another episode yeah.